Hi everyone, welcome back to Cup of Tea with Rick G. And today we're joined by Nick Warburton. And Nick's an ex-college lecturer and now turned property investor after leaving his job because it was just becoming way too stressful and causing a few health issues. So Nick, welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. No problem. So Nick, tell us about your, your previous life and what led you into getting involved into property and, and where you are now. Right. Um, my previous life. Well, originally I trained as an automotive engineer. And so I was building cars, uh, working on cars, all manner of different uh, vehicles. And then luckily I got into actually teaching about the subject. So I became a college lecturer and I did that for around about 20 years. So I've taught a lot of students over the years, both um, sort of 14 to 16 year olds and then 16 plus. I did that. And eventually it started to make me ill. The, the job itself changed, um, became more stressed, there was more pressure put on as a college lecturer or as many teachers will relate. And it just started getting too much. So myself and a couple of other people in the staff room, we kind of looked at each other and said, there's got to be more to life than just this. And so we looked for an exit strategy. And of which that, that was property. And why property, Nick? What's, what moved you into this arena? Um, I've always been interested in property. I've been fortunate enough for, as a kid to grow up in a big manor house. Um, I've lived in small houses as well, so I've experienced a whole array of different housing. They've always interested me. Um, obviously, because of my technical background, I'm quite a practical person, so I've always done DIY. And it kind of led me to think, well, if I can utilize the skills that I've gained through the management within teaching, the practical skills that I have, if I can apply those to something else and create my own destiny, then property seems to be the way forward. So how long is it since you gave up your college lecturing job? I gave up uh, fully in 2015. 2015, okay. And what was the transition period like? Did you just literally take that leap of faith or did you manage your way out on a career break? Uh, essentially, I... The deciding factor for me was I was feeling ill at work. I went to the doctors and the doctor offered me two options. I either had counselling or I went on medication. And I felt that the job was not worth doing that for an employer. So two days later, I handed in my notice. I gave them plenty of notice. So I ended at the end of the year. Uh, and then during that time, I did the training. So I, I did some courses about property and then just stepped out of it and made the break. And how did they, I mean, I know a lot of people, they do come to me and they say, you know what, I'm really thinking about giving up my job. Um, I'm a bit anxious, a bit nervous about it. Um, how did you feel at that point? And I've been through this as well because I did the same. What was going through your mind? Or did it not, did it not matter at that point? Um, it was a mixture of emotions because obviously the, the job had made me ill and so I've been suffering with stress. The thought of actually leaving the job was both exciting and worrying because you're stepping out of essentially what is a regular monthly paid salary uh, going into the world of the unknown uh, but as they say feel, fear to fear and do it anyway i mean do you think sometimes that people get this grass is greener syndrome and i talk to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and almost every person i can guarantee actually that every person i talk to are looking for a way out of their industry yes it, uh, it's very much down to individual, isn't it? You need to have 
tenacity if you're going to do a movement, you know, even if it's not property into anything else. You've got to be prepared to have some form of change, whether that's a financial alteration, um, the hours that you work. Yeah, it can look wonderful and you see people online saying how they're smashing it and doing really, really well. That may just be a shell on the outside and you don't know what's really happening. But if somebody wants to make the break, talk to people in the industry. So, you know, somebody like yourself, somebody like me, we've been there, done it. Uh, and we can say, well, hang on a minute, have you considered X, Y and Z? Yeah. I mean, do you think, I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of traits and people wanting to get out of their job. Now, what, what, I mean, I know you do a little bit of um, coaching as well, don't you, for anxiety. And and we'll talk about that in a little while, but I suppose we're kind of leading on to it. Uh, What is, do you think, the main factor that people are not happy in their job? Do you think it's, I I suppose it could be a multitude of, of a lot of things, but ultimately, what is that straw that breaks the camel's back in your experience? For most people, I think it's, where there's a tier of management, the management don't necessarily understand about their employees and the human element within a company disappears. All businesses are based on human to human interaction. And if you lose that, then you lose the quality of that person. And a lot of people now feel undervalued from that point of view. Mm, that's interesting. And, and it is a war. I mean, we're in a people business. Everything we do is a people business and you're nothing without your staff. But what if you have a staff member that's underperforming? You know, I mean, surely we've got to maybe, you know, just push them a little bit more. We've got to encourage them a little bit more. Absolutely. Again, but that's about the human being, isn't it? It's about seeing that person. What is it that's causing the problem? Having a talk to them. Um, and if you can coach them to go forwards, to manage their workload to improve them, then that's what a manager is about. Mm. So yes, it, again, it is looking after that person. If the person's underperforming, why? So do you think that if the management style was slightly different and they stepped in earlier and had more of a, a human element to them, then people wouldn't be looking to move? Or do you think they're just going to be, you know, once they've got the seed in their mind, they're going to go out and they're just going to move anyway? It, it's a difficult thing because it, it depends on the nature of the person because, you know, if it's, financially led and they just want more money, then no amount of what you try and do as a manager will necessarily keep them there. If it's, um, again, something from an emotional point of view and you can deal with that person and help them and coach them, then you'll gain loyalty and money may not be a factor because they're happy in what they do. Mm. So it kind of, it, it depends on the scenario and the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, you kind of went on to a little bit of coaching there. So let's get back into property. So you went into property, you took some training. What happened from that point and what strategy did you go into? Originally, um, I'd been on the progressive course and had a look at that. The thing that appealed to me at the time for my situation was the property sourcing. So I then followed up with uh, courses about sourcing, set up a company for that, um, did all the related uh, insurance, property ombudsman, et cetera, et cetera. So sprint out quite a lot in the first place. And then as I tried to look for deals, it was more difficult because where I am, I'm, I'm based in Ludlow in South Shropshire, so I'm not a million miles from you, Rick. Um, and they, they tell you about having a 10 mile area. Well, most of those 10 miles for me are fields. So there's mm. not much opportunity there. So the sourcing was more difficult. However, when I did come across some properties, I felt, why am I selling this to somebody else when I can do this work because of my practical background, because of the interest I have, because it's on my doorstep. And so 
at that point, I kind of changed over and looked at the uh, the flip side of stuff. So buying it, refurbishing it, and selling it on. And how long did it take you to start monetizing your business? I mean, we have a lot of conversations like this, a lot of people starting from scratch, loads of listeners in the situation where they've just gone through the transition or perhaps were about to embark on giving their job up and going into property. And I know that, you know, very often I was sat there on the phone, hustling, calling people, getting no's, getting no's, getting no's, getting no's, getting very down about it, losing my mojo. And yep. then eventually, you know, it started to kick in. So how did that look for you, Nick? Very, very similar. Um, it's a tough journey because when, when you're somewhere that's more rural, it is more difficult to gain the leads unless you're going to travel to one of the nearer towns. So for me, it would be either Hereford or Shrewsbury. Then that itself incurs a cost and the time in just traveling. It took a long time before anything really started to happen. And my... The one deal I remember in particular was one when I was leafleting and I was leafleting myself. I wasn't subbing it all out. I did everything myself. So everybody says about we must leverage. I'd say get out there and do it yourself and learn your trade first. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are going to say and, and actually, you know, say that, that you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't get out there. You should leverage it. And I think, I don't know what your feelings are, Nick, that there is no right and wrong in business. It's whatever works for you. Um, I, do, I do get the fact that you've got to leverage your time. But, you know, when you're hustling and you're out there and you're starting your business from scratch, there's a certain element that you've got to just roll your sleeves up. And, you know, and I did a live video last night in my Facebook group. I was doing the bloody ironing. You know what I mean? I was ironing. Did you see it? I was ironing some curtains that we've got that we've got to put into a property today because they arrived by parcel force about, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. There's no staff left. Everyone's gone home. Somebody's got to do it. That's right. And and so obviously you work to your skill set, but you learn your trade. You know, if you're going to do leafleting, get out there and put some leaflets out. If you're going to put envelopes out, get out there and do it because you see the area, you see other opportunities, you talk to people. You know, yeah. Sometimes when you're chatting and someone says, oh, what's this leaflet about? And they say, oh, I've got a friend that needs help. You know, as I had a mentorship and my mentor always taught me, you never know where your next deal is coming from. And that's mm. very, very true. It is true, isn't it? And, you know, you've got to get your net in the water because otherwise you're not going to get any deals. Um, You know, otherwise, if you can't wait for the opportunities to come to you, can you? So you were looking for, at the beginning, you were looking to do um, um, properties that you could source and then sell on for a profit. And you started doing leafleting. You said you were doing other campaigns. What was the most successful campaign that you did? Um, For me, actually, the leaflets did really well. But then also, but I mean, my most recent one was somebody I worked with 10 years ago and just out of the blue, I walked past them and they said, oh, you're still doing property and you, you suddenly get a deal like that. And so that's ended up as an assisted sale. So the, you just have to try all sorts and see what works best for your area, what works best for your strategy uh, and just keep trying and be adaptive. And how long was it, Nick, until you got that first deal from your standing start? Oh, it was ages, Rick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it took a hell of a long time. And like yourself, you know, your mojo, it, it, it goes up and down. Um, I mean, give me a time scale. I'm going to be talking weeks, months? 18 months. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, you, so you were hustling for 18 months until you managed to get your first monetized deal? That's right, yes. And most people, Nick, would have given it way, way before then. That's what I say. It's all about tenacity. 
whatever business you set up, you've got to have tenacity. So you got your first deal and, and what happened? Did it start to snowball after that? When did it start to become a viable business? Um, after that, because once you've got your first deal, then you have the ability to be able to talk of authority about it because you've actually got the deal, you're doing it. Uh, you can speak to others and you can say, well, come and have a look at what I'm doing. Um, you can then add more detail to your website, to your social media. So once you've got that first one, work from that. And then that will give you that ability to compound it. And then people take you more seriously because you're actually there and doing it. And how did you keep your mojo alive? 18 months is a long time and it's a long time for you to hustle. And I, you know, I said before, I know people that would have given up long, long way before then and gone back into their comfort zone, which is usually back to their default temperature yep. um, and back to work. So how did you keep it alive? Um, support of good friends was one of the main things. Um, and I suppose just from my own personal, personal character, is that case of you just got to keep going. Uh, yeah, I've read the motivational books, uh, listened to audio books as well. So you know it's going to happen. You've just got to keep doing it. And did you surround yourself with other people, Nick, that were doing the same kind of thing? Yeah, I've got uh, a lot of friends on social media. Most of my friends uh, within Facebook are property related or uh, in line with my other business. So you're surrounding yourself with people who may be going through similar or have done it previously and say, keep going, or have you tried this? Mm, yeah. And did you go to networking meetings as well, or was that something you've not done? I, I've done a few. Um, a mixed reaction to those. Um, I haven't gained anything from them. I've met people there, and I've met some great people, but from a business point of view, uh, it hasn't helped me a great deal. Right. Okay. That's interesting, actually. I think you're the first person that said that. Everyone else I talked about networking say it's so powerful, but you know, again, you've got to do what works for you. I mean, sometimes, you know, something will work. I mean, you just mentioned leaflets. Now I've had very little success with leaflets um, because in my area, it just doesn't work. So we have more success with direct to vendor campaigns, but again, horses for courses. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about property in a minute. We're going to kind of have a little bit of a slant here because you don't just do property. I know that you do coaching um, for people with anxiety issues and what have you. Now, how does that feed in with this? And is it something that is a recent venture or is it something you've always done? It's something I, I've focused on more recently because I can run it alongside the property company as well. So obviously being a college lecturer for 20 years, I've had to deal with all sorts of problems and motivating people, especially students trying to get work in. Um, but you encounter their, their life problems as well. So I've always had to be able to create solutions for people. And that's part of the reason why I got into property as well. The, where I am at now, I'm what's called a SITAP practitioner. And SITAP is a particular method for helping people. It's very rapid, it's very, very effective. And it's great for people who have anxiety, stress, panic attacks, but I can use it for many, many other things. So it can be used for trauma, um, eating disorders. There's, there's loads of things I can work with and make them disappear very quickly. So it, it lends itself really well to people who have mindset issues. When you say disappear, Nick, I mean, literally disappear. I mean, I tell you, I'll give you a scenario. Um, I get claustrophobia, yes, um, which is bizarre. 
because um, you know, being a police officer, being in cells with prisoners, being in holding cells never affected me, but I cannot get in a lift. And when I do, um, it's just the worst experience of my life. I can't see how that would ever be taken away from me. So what would you, I mean, I'm, I'm just asking for a, you know, a snapshot, yep. quick fire answer, but what, how can you help me with that? How can you draw that anxiety away from me? It goes back to what we call the trauma tree. And so when you display anxiety, if you can imagine a tree, anxiety, OCD, addictions, and things like that are branches of a tree. And so they manifest themselves from the original trauma. To treat that trauma, you have to go to the root. So again, if you imagine the tree, if we deal with one branch, we can snip the branch, it will go, but like a tree, it will grow back. If you cut through the trunk, like a tree, it can grow back. So you have to remove the root. If you remove the root cause, then nothing else can manifest itself from it. And so that's what we do with SciTap, is we look at the root cause, we treat that, and so we literally change the neuro pathways within your brain. And so that event that caused all the anxiety and other things, that's been dealt with. And we, we've separated the emotions from that event. So I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what caused this, though. I don't, for me, I don't know what caused it. I didn't get. I mean, I've been stuck in the left since, but I already had the anxiety. Um, I don't know where it was born. I don't know. Um, I don't remember ever being trapped in a lift. Now, I've got colleagues when I was in the police who got trapped in a lift for a long time. They were trapped in it for about 45 minutes. And I know I relived their situation in my head for a long time. That kind of worked me up a little bit, but I wasn't in it. So I don't know where this has all been born from. It, it can be something as simple as that. It, it doesn't have to be a personal experience. There's various ways. I mean, it can also be transferred genetically. Um, so it can be in the DNA from somebody else's previous experience. If it's sufficient trauma, it actually gets into the DNA programming and it gets transferred mm -hmm. on. It can be that you get it vicariously. So if your friends have been going through something, then you've suffered it as well. And so it can work from there. But yeah. lots of different places. And I think this is going to be very uh, in the face of a lot of people listening to this, because I think, you know, Nick, some, um, some people are a little bit too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their, their, their ego perhaps wouldn't let them admit that they've got anxiety, but I think everybody suffers from anxiety for, um, you know, for, uh, certainly to a certain level and a certain degree throughout their life. Absolutely. It, it's an emotion. And when you start displaying those emotions because something triggers it, you know, that, that, that's what a human being does. Yeah. And then when you get it, it takes away your energy, takes away your focus because, you know, um, you know, you can only think about one thing at a time because that, that's that's how we're programmed. And if that thought is a negative thought or if it's filling you with anxiety, then it just stops you from moving forwards. Absolutely. And the anxiety uh, can get worse as well. So there'll be an original trigger, for instance, um, with your colleagues in the cell. But it the anxiety will then build and it will look for more and more things to trigger it for the brain to say and justify to itself, yes, I have anxiety. And so that's why people start to say, well, you know, I wake up in the morning and I feel anxious. Nothing has happened, but the brain is preparing itself to be anxious that day. And that's, that's to do with the, uh, the neural pathways in the brain. And do people start to look for other things to take away that anxiety, you know, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, etc.? Yes, they're looking for a distraction. And that's just going to be a temporary distraction, which eventually is going to make everything worse. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's a spiral downhill. 
you know what it's like, Nick, sometimes, you know, you have a stressful day, you think, oh, I'm going to have a nice glass of gin and tonic. And then if it's a Friday night, you might have one too many. Then you wake up the next morning and you feel bloody worse than you did the day before because alcohol is a depressant as well. That's correct. And yeah. it's also, it also dehydrates you and, you know, ah, hey, how do we get on to this? Uh, the mindset stuff is great. I could talk about this all the time. And I think this is really, you know, um, everybody goes through this and people that are listening to this, everyone's going to relate to this at some point. Um, you know, when you get those negative thoughts and when you get those what ifs, and we talk about the what ifs a lot. And I think, you know, very much so that's down to anxiety as well. And in property investing, we, t- we, we talk about the, the what if syndrome where, well, what if it goes wrong? What if Brexit ruins the market? What if yeah. my family don't support me? What if I go bankrupt? What if people laugh at me? What if people don't take me seriously? Do you think that's a form of anxiety? Um, it, it can create a form of anxiety. It go, again, it goes back to that tree and to the root causes. It, if people are questioning what you do all the time, and if, certainly if they're people that are close to you, whether they're family, uh, a partner or friends, and they're saying, oh, why are you doing this? Are you still following that thing? It creates a doubt in your own mind. And that negativity will then gradually eat away at you. So you know, I've seen that a lot in um, the business, and certainly in the property industry, where people are struggling. They need to have an ability to be sure about themselves, so that's why I say about the tenacity, but also have a routine that allows you to create that positivity every day. How do you create that routine? Now, this is really good because I'm all for routine and, you know, routine equals results and all of that stuff, default diaries, having lists, but I, with all the best will in the world, that I I plan my, my week on a Sunday and it takes about two hours and then it's great. I feel good. I feel I've got something to work towards. I open the office up on Monday morning and then all the shit storm happens and that routine just goes way out the window. And very, because I've missed it, it's almost like the Monday thing, isn't it? I'll start Monday. It's always Monday, but because it's Monday and the routine goes out the window on Monday, that wrecks the rest of the week and it all just goes mad yeah it, it creates a domino effect and you see it a lot on social media i, I, I watch people's accounts um and you, you see that the monday morning and they've got some sort of meme for it and everybody's feeling dull then it's hump day or by wednesday then they're looking forward to friday they're having a big party on saturday and then Sunday, <laughs> polar bear dragging itself across the ice getting ready for monday yeah. and you just see that week on week on week and that's no way to live it's the hustle, isn't it? I look at that and I think, you know, this is just a big trap. It's a big wheel. How the hell do you get off that bloody wheel? But, you know, it's great from the outside looking in. And when people talk to me and um, you know, we talk about property and it's all good. And I really do try and share, you know, everything that goes on, the good stuff and the bad stuff yes. in property. I'm not all about saying, hey, you know, look at me and uh, look how well I'm doing. Because it, there is always a polar opposite. There's always got to be a polar opposite with everything that we do because we wouldn't experience good if we didn't have bad. And I think it's, you know, when I look at people um, posting, oh, it's okay for you and all the stuff that people come back with me, actually, you know what? This hustle's real as well. Um, Just because we've got a larger portfolio, our peaks and troughs are just the same. They're just bigger. So when we get a a good day, we get a great day, the same as everybody else. When we get a bad day, you know, um, because we've got so many businesses to run, it can be actually the extremes are much, much more than they would be. So I think when people are looking for that grass is always greener, it's not always greener, you know, it's just maybe a perception that people have at the time. 
Yeah, well, the grass can be made green by BS as well, can't it? So. Well, that's kind of what I mean. You know, when people are, look at me, look at my car I'm driving, look at, you know, I mean, to a degree, I perhaps I'm a little bit guilty of that myself because it's sometimes nice to, um, to appreciate your success and show other people. Um, but sometimes it can be BS. And that's what I mean when people get out of their job and then they go into something else that they perceive to be easy money and then they find out quickly it's not, you're back in that wheel again. Yeah, it, it's very much a case of that. And the issue I have is when the people go online, and they can be vindictive and acidic to people, it's rather than have a go at them, ask them the questions. How did you get to do what you're doing? How did you manage to afford that car? You know, what, what do you do to enable you to have that lifestyle? Ask the questions, and then maybe they could do the same. Mm. And it's, it's, that's a mindset shift, isn't it? It is a mindset shift, and it's interesting you use that word acidic because there is so much of that on all of the social media platforms. Oh. And, and rather than just supporting and asking, people are, are going at them and saying, well, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. You know? and, then, and it becomes a battle. Now, when I did my ironing post last night, you say you watched it, I don't know if you got through to the end. I said at the end, look, guys, you know, let's support each other here. Let's, let's be there for one another. We're all trying to achieve the same thing. Let's just be supportive. Let's help each other out rather than going at each other, looking at each other's competition because there is so much of that out there. Yeah, it, 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 it's very easy for people on social media, especially to be what they call the keyboard hero and to type, oh, this is rubbish. He, he's hired the car. He's using somebody else's house. You know, there's all sorts of things. And just why not worry about your own life? Mm. Why not try and improve that instead of just having to go at everybody else? For a lot of people, it justifies where they are in life. Yeah, it's more of a reflection on, on them, isn't it, rather Absolutely. than the, the, the person. And it's really funny. And I don't do it as much anymore, but I, I used to have a troll post, and I used to post it on, you may have seen it. I used to post yes. all my trolls on there. I stopped doing it because it got a bit boring. But even this morning, you know, I get up quite early. I was up at five. Um, and by the way, folks, I'm not, I'm not sort of being an advocate of getting up at five. If you want to do it, if it works for you, that's cool. If you don't, don't do it. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but I do. I have to. And the first thing I do is go on social media and just clear out all the trolls and i go into a particular thread that's always got trolls on it and i cleared out i think three this morning and that was in the last 12 hours from when i went to bed so it's like it's just constant all the time it doesn't worry me so much anymore but i think for the new people in the industry um you know it can be quite soul destroying and especially if you are already suffering from anxiety and then somebody comes at you and starts telling you that you know you're wrong and everything is is, yeah, is not you know reaffirms to them doesn't it yeah, and we've kind of gone into the coaching side of thing there. But I do find it really interesting, and I hope the viewers, sorry, the viewers, the listeners, um, you know, are going to find this quite interesting as well, because I think we can all relate to this. So I want to backtrack a bit, because we sped up. Um, yeah. We talked about planning, and talked about getting your routine. We didn't quite finish it. So when I do get to Monday, and it all goes to, to ratchet, pardon the language, um, how do you bring it back into play, rather than ruining the rest of the week? And I know, I tell you what, this kind of goes along the... I don't drink during the week stuff. So everyone that's listening to this is saying, I don't drink during the week. And then all of a sudden you have a shit day and then you drink on a Monday and you think, well, I've drunk Monday now. I might, I might as well carry on Tuesday. Wednesday. And then you're back to square one. So how do we get that mind shift and, and say, well, okay, it's just Monday. I need to get back on and, and, and get my routine back for Tuesday for the rest of the week. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to go slightly a step further back. We need to create a routine within ourselves that is going to enable us to be ready for whatever comes that Monday morning, that Tuesday morning, that Wednesday morning. And that's something that I teach all my clients. It's something I do myself every day. So, you know, I really believe in 
doing what I say to people. And for that, there's a particular breathing exercise that I do, and it's on my website, quick plug there, um, on my therapy website, I've actually done a video so people can follow it. It's what's called collarbone breathing. And collarbone breathing is a way of taking control of your breath, but also we use a form of tapping in certain points because there's certain meridians on the body. Mm. It also balances the left and right hemispheres of the brain. Now, if you get that hemispheres in balance, your thinking will be improved. Your clarity of vision will be better. So if you can set yourself up first thing in the morning doing that, and it is literally two minutes in the day, do that in the morning. Whatever gets thrown at you, you're calm. So whether you've got trolls, whether a delivery hasn't happened or whether somebody's let you down, because your mindset is already in a different mode, it's easier. And my mentor has always taught me, I've had a brilliant mentor, and one of his phrases, Dr. Wayne Dyer, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I like that. Can you say that again? When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm, interesting. So that, again, it's from looking from a different perspective, whether that's a situation in business, whether it's in your family life, whether it's financial, it creates an alternative. And so by having the breathing exercise done first thing in the morning, I'm ready for the day. And it makes me calm. And if I'm calm, I'll react differently. If you start off the Monday morning being stressed or rubbish, you go to work and something happens, you just go, oh, here we go. And as soon as you start doing that, you will then start looking for more negatives. It's what's called the reticular activating system. Mm. And it, it's what I also call cars in the car park. When you start looking for the negativity, I guarantee you'll find it. When you start looking for the positivity in the day, you will find that instead. And then that will outweigh the negativity. Why is it, Nick, do you think that most people are always looking for the negative? I don't know. And maybe that's just the way I perceive it. That's my perception because, you know, I do get a lot of, a lot of hassle on social media and what have you. I am a positive person by, um, you know, just by the way I am, always have been. Um, but I see other people think, you know, and I look at them and think, why are you always so bloody negative? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It stems from social media. Because, you know, when the keyboard hero comes along and then um, types something negative about it and somebody gets on the back of that, it just snowballs and there's more and more negativity. And so if that's happening with one feed, two feeds, three feeds, and then all your feed as you scroll through is people just commenting and negatively, then the vibe is already set up. So social media is actually a really negative thing a lot of the time. Unless you're in the right groups, surrounding yourself with the right people, you're going to be surrounded by that negativity. And it's partly a culture that we have now, I think, in the UK anyway. I mean, you've only got to look on TV and there's so much negativity. If you sit and watch the news, if you read the newspaper, it's never the good news that we're mm. putting out there. It's always well, the bad news. Good news doesn't sell papers, does it? Absolutely. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's being bred into us, isn't it? It's being forced upon us. Yeah, I, I've taken a, a concerted effort to really not follow the news in the same way. I, I listen to the radio news occasionally on the hour. So that's two minutes of the day, maybe a bit uh, later on. If I want to find out about something, I can research it and check up on what's happening. But I don't allow myself to be fed that negativity all the time. Put up a yeah. defense against it. And as soon as you start doing that, you're going to feel differently anyway. 
What about people that are already in that environment by default because they work in a negative environment, perhaps maybe at um, a hospital, you know, when they're surrounded by um, death all of the time, or maybe police officers that are certainly surrounded by negativity for 90% of what they do because it is that element of society they're dealing with. How can they still remain positive when it's just in their face every single day? Well, one is going back and doing that collarbone breathing and looking after yourself. Because, yes, everybody's going to be surrounded by negative. Something is going to happen at some point during a day, during a week, during your life, where that is going to be negative. But it's how you respond to it. So using things like the collarbone technique, um, I do other exercises as well with a client. Um, but surround yourself with positivity. Look for positivity. Because then you're keeping that balance. Because otherwise, if you keep, as I said before, like the cars in the car park, the example is when you change your car, suddenly everybody else has the same car as you. And it goes back to that reticular activating system. Because mm. you're focused on that particular car, you will then see it. Or if you buy a new jumper or a new dress, then you see somebody else wearing it because you're now aware of it. So do the same with positivity. Look for positivity and that will readdress the balance. So when you're in a negative environment, you can counteract it by looking for positivity and because within yourself you're generally a positive person that will help you through nick do you think some people have got this thermostat setting you know when they're at 30 degrees if they even go up to 60 65 degrees because of the way that they're built they're just going to automatically go back to the thermostat setting of 30 degrees you have to make a concerted effort to change and how long does that take, do you think? Is there a time scale when people just say, right, I'm going to do this for X amount of days, and if I do that, then it becomes a habit, and because it's a habit, it's something that's going to happen every day? It will depend on the character and depends on what it is you're going to do. Because a lot of people say, about well, it takes 30 days to change a habit. Well, if that was the case, my therapy wouldn't work because my, my therapy, when I work with somebody, we're usually done within 60 to 90 minutes. That's it. Done. And is that just as a one-off, or is that a repeating? One-off. Occasionally, I have a little follow-up session with somebody because there might be something else there that they've uh, found that they need dealing with, which, so that may be a half-hour session. But generally, my sessions with a client are 60 to 90 minutes, and we're done. Okay, that's so interesting. Yeah. You're in a lift, it can be done. Because we, we address the root cause. Mm. We're not snipping at the branches. I mean, this lifting for me is a real problem, you know, because I've got a disabled son. And, of course, we have to get in the lift. Now, um, fortunately for my wife, she doesn't get any anxiety in a lift but for me it's it's a real pain in the bum and i think after for me it's certainly about building trust and that sounds stupid when i say building trust with the lift so i'll have to get in it a couple of times and then i get comfortable in it and then it becomes normal and then i'm okay so an example of that would be um, when I go on a holiday, we go on cruise ships because it's yeah. easy for my son to access every floor. And on the beginning of the cruise ship, um, I'm a little bit anxious because I don't know, you know how rickety the lifts are going to be. But after 14 days, I'll always use the same one. Um, and I, I'm okay with it. I'm happy with it. it the, kind of, the anxiety kind of goes away towards the end of the holiday. Yeah, that's a very common. It's like people with heights. There'll be certain areas where heights <laughs> is not an issue. I can't stand heights either. You know, you're talking no. about me. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has something. Oh. Um, and again, they're all branches of the tree. So, you know, it's, it's OCD because people say about, oh, I'll try and get my OCD treated. It's not the OCD you're treating. It's the root event 
that's mm. caused it is yeah. what needs treating. I don't have OCD. I'm all right with that. I'm, I'm terrible with heights. I remember once I went to Egypt. Uh, no, it wasn't Egypt. It was Mexico, a place called Chichen Itza. And we went up to the, the pyramids. And at that point, you were able to walk up to them. And I went up there with my father-in-law. And he was like an old mountain goat. He was just really sprightly. He got to the top. I got to the top. I turned around. And I, I, I almost had to say, you're going to have to get a helicopter to take me down from here. I had to go down backwards so I couldn't see on my bum until yeah. I got to the bottom. It took me about an hour to get back because I just had a massive panic attack. Yeah, yeah and that, that happens to everybody. And you know, people suffer in different ways. And there'll be all sorts of different triggers. There, there can be many, many different things that can cause it. So yes, the most common are things like lifts, uh, claustrophobia for heights, the fear of spiders, fear of flying. Those are the most common ones, but they can mm. be all sorts of tiny things as well that affect people in just the same magnitude. I've got, I know somebody that's got a fear of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, just to look at a mushroom, they just break out in a cold sweat. It's just bizarre. We are funny people, aren't we, as human beings? Nick, I mean, this is really, like, it's turned into a really great mindset coaching session. Um, I know we were, you know, we're talking a little bit about property. So let's just part the coaching. And I found that I could talk to you for hours about that because it is something that I'm very, very interested in. So what does your property portfolio look like now then? So we've gone through all of the, you gave up your college lecturing job um, and it took you 18 months to start getting your first deals after all of the hustle. Whereabouts are you now? Okay. So for me, um, it's not about owning a portfolio. So I don't have any houses that I personally own. I'm not into buy-to-lets. Um, the area around here is not HMOs. So that's not kind of my thing. My, my thing is about doing the refurbishments and doing the flips. So I like to take a property. I like to create a new chapter in its book. So everything that I've done in my life has been about creating solutions for people. But it's the teaching, um, with the, the coaching and the therapy side and with the property it's kind of the same so you know if you've got a, a motivated seller or a distressed owner I can come in and create some form of solution for them um, uh, so the, the previous one I did uh, with the leafleting the person held the leaflet for three weeks before they contacted me they had been made redundant by text message and so they were falling behind had all sorts of problems so I stepped in that's the sort of thing that interests me. That's why I've not got a portfolio. So, no, that's, I mean, that, but that's okay because that works for you. That's what you're absolutely. doing. Yeah, it's more, it's more about the, the cash flow from creating the, the profit on the, the project. Yeah, I'm very much so. And that's this great thing about working for yourself. You call the shots. You can do whatever you want to do. And I suppose yeah. the mindset and the coaching stuff, actually, when you're dealing with um, um, a vendor, if you are direct to vendor, very often they could have anxiety issues around that particular property. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, it, you know, with some people, it can become a millstone around the neck because it, it's not just the property per se. It's the, the mortgage company. It's the family. It could be the work mm -hmm. commitments. There's all sorts of add to it. The memories attached to it, lots yeah. of different things. Again, Sorry. another scenario. I remember years ago, we used to have a, a small chain of pubs and we went to one of our pubs and we parked up outside and somebody, we had a cabriolet, it was an old Rover, but it was a soft top. And whilst we were in there working, came out, somebody had um, slashed it and they'd ripped a massive hole in it. And bizarrely, that issue caused um, my wife loads of anxiety. And she got to the point where she did not want to go back to that property just because of that one particular issue. And for us, for a while, it was an issue until we, you know, we sold our business. Um, but, you know, that, that is another way of perhaps maybe becoming a motivated landlord, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely, yes. And, and for, for her, the, the trauma of um, having the roof slashed, one, it, it's um, something of hers that the possession's been damaged. But two, there's the, the worry about the person around there. So again, there, there's all sorts of aspects to it that create that trauma and emotion. Yeah, and it's finding, you know, when we are helping vendors, it is finding that solution to that problem. Nick, this has been an awesome interview. I want to thank you so much and um, kind of went on to the mindset and coaching thing. But I wanted to cover that because I think it's so important for a lot of people, even if people don't admit to themselves that, you know, we all get good days and we all get bad days. If you've got someone there that can help you or someone's got your back, then you know, it's absolutely worth its weight in gold. And you said a couple of things earlier, you mentioned some things, um, and it is all about perspective. You know, if you look for the good, you'll find it. If you look for the bad, you'll find it. So if you look for the good in everything you do, then your motivation levels will change. The whole, you know, your whole surroundings will change around you. So Nick, I want to um, ask you how our listeners can contact you. So whether it's, you know, property or whether it's mindset coaching, the the anxiety type of things um, that people can perhaps relate to from this podcast, how can they reach you? Well, there's two ways. Obviously, I've got websites for both property and therapy. Either find me on social media, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, as is everybody. So you can find me as Nick Warburton. Um, for the company, for the property, you can get me at nick at cherryinvestments.co.uk if you want to email me. If you want to talk to me about a therapy or you want to have a look at that video uh, with the collarbone breathing and, and follow me doing that, then that's on the website at improvemymindset.com improvemymindset.com Nick I think you're going to get quite a few hits on that because I think you know we do get a lot of listeners on this podcast and I think everyone will relate to what we've just discussed so if anybody wants to contact Nick you know with any issues that you think you might have and you might need help with then you've got all of the contact details there or you can tag on social media at Nick Warburton Nick it's been an awesome interview I know they've got to cut it uh, at this point now because um, I know that you've got commitments and so have I this morning it's got a very busy day for me so thank you so much for joining us been a pleasure Rick Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. So folks, um, I'm sure you'll agree that was an awesome interview. And if you need to contact me for anything, you can reach me at info at newerapropertysolutions.co.uk where you can simply tag me in on social media. I am all over social media. You can find me in the HMO community group or just tag me in at Rick Gannon UK on my Facebook page. And until the next time, folks, have an awesome day.